Hello and welcome to Access Chat. This week I'm delighted that we're joined by Mayi Manoram from Arup. Arup are a large uh, architectural firm and, and Mayi is responsible for the accessibility uh, element of their work, which of course we think is extremely important. So May, um, can you tell us a bit about the work that you do, um, how you came to be working in this field and, 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 you know, and, and what, it, what it is and what it means for Arup to be accessible? Yeah, of course. Um, so thank you very much for, for inviting me to join you um, to talk about this. Um, so the team um, is called Access and Inclusive Environments. Um, what we do as a team is specialise in inclusive design, as, as you mentioned, Neil, um, and uh, typically, what that uh, what what that involves is working with uh, both internally within um, within Arab um, with our with our colleagues, um, with the uh, architects, the designers, and the um, engineers within the company, um, and also with external clients as well to make sure that what we're designing um, is accessible and inclusive, both from a physical perspective, but also in terms of how people actually experience space, um, how people, um, you know, whether or not that experience is actually equitable and, and, and whether or not that quality is equitable across different user groups. Um, in terms of, um, so you were asking about how I how how I got involved um, in this yeah. field. Yeah. Um, so uh, I started off uh, studying architecture at, at university. Um, I uh, as as part of that, um, I was looking at um, sort of architectural history as well, um, and thinking and, and as part of my dissertation, thinking about how architecture has been used historically to separate people, segregate people, um, and so as part of my dissertation, I was um, sort of very interested in um, you know the, the the history behind that, and and when I left university, I was sort of like, well, actually, how how can we reverse that? How can we use architecture and and the built environment um, to actually use that as a tool of uh, for, for integrating people and getting get, getting people to understand each other more to, to get people to participate um, and to and to integrate communities um, so uh, when I finished university I, I really wasn't aware of the fact that inclusive design existed as a, as a career path um, happened to come across Arab and uh, yeah the rest is history never left <laughs> okay uh, and um, I'm from a, a family of town planners. So um, I'm also interested in this stuff. I grew up around people thinking about how do we bring people together? How do, um, what are the mechanics of communities and, and, and so on? Um, so architecture is more than just about buildings, right? And Arab is, is absolutely engaged in thinking about the the larger scale yes as an architecture firm you've done you know you know some some iconic buildings around the world but but this is uh, your practice is about you know, particularly and we, we met talking about city design and stuff like that so so what do you think are the the the, the really key ingredients in a in, a, in an inclusive city um, and, and then I know Deborah's got some questions we'd like to sort of follow up afterwards. Yep. Um, so I think that's a that's a really great question. I think I think one of the um, so, so we recently completed a, a study with um, 
there's a, a charity in the UK called uh, Sustrans who, who uh, look at trying to encourage people to walk and cycle more. Um, and so there's a, a two-year study that we recently completed and launched over the over the summer, um, which I think summarizes um, and uh, summarizes that um, that sort of my answer to that question really. Um, so I think as as you mentioned, Neil, it's about the sort of infrastructure and the built. Um, uh, environment, um, how that can support people um, in in their cities and in their spaces to actually participate and to feel involved and feel a sense of belonging. Um, but in addition to that, as well, it's about um, the the um, the the support and the people, um, and also about the governance as well and the representation. And if we if we're able to look at that together um, holistically to make sure that actually um, so so using the um, the the study um, as an example, it was looking at how we can make cycling as an activity more inclusive. Uh, for communities who are currently uh, underrepresented um, in that cycling community. Um, and so I think one of the things, um, you know, uh, again, is uh, that, that we, that we through user group consultations um, that we discovered through this is that people didn't feel um, through, the, through the media representation that actually cycling was an activity for them, that, that was suitable for them. Because of the infrastructure, it wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't able to accommodate different types of equipment that people might need um, and uh, because of the way that um, people have designed that space and the people that are involved in designing that space as well it didn't reflect that, that diversity yeah and I, I know i promised deborah that i would let her speak but if you want to follow up cycling. and 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 yeah, i was in my twitter feed this week um and i was seeing a lot of tweets from people who are in the disability space and also working in, in transport. And we've implemented these sort of priority cycling lanes uh, recently, but they've also said that they should be used by wheelchair users and, and, and other people. And the, the, the yeah. wheelchair using um, people in my stream are saying, this is a nightmare. You know, um, so so how do we resolve those kind of challenges where we have well-meaning intent, hmm. um, but we're not really, you know, consulting the community when we're when we're implementing these kind of projects? Absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Neil. Um, so I think, you know, in the UK, um, you know, I think there was, like you say, good intentions in terms of trying to get cycle lanes up, trying to get people um, to be more active, especially under the current COVID um, situation as well, so that people are able to access fresh air, um, access exercise um, and maintain um, uh, maintain social distance. Um, so there have been lots of things that are happening um, sort of in, in my local area, uh, elsewhere across the UK um, and probably elsewhere across the globe as well. Um, but I think in the urgency to try and get that you know, to, to, to get those, those um, things implemented and to get um, people um, out and, and and support that that activity. Um, I think there there was a huge huge oversight in terms of actually not consulting, um, not consulting people and not consulting enough people as well in order to really capture that diversity across across different sectors of our society. Um, so I think yeah, as you said, Neil, consultation and, and getting people involved in that 
um, in that discussion is absolutely critical. And I think more and more we're realizing that, we're hearing that, the, that mistake made over and over and over and over uh, again in every conversation. We're not getting the right people into the conversations so that we can make sure that we're creating things that are accessible. But I, I, I wanted to sort of go back to something that you said, May, um, and we really, really are grateful for your work because people like you are actually going to change the world. And so this is, we, we, we really want to support efforts like yours, but you said that when you were in school, this wasn't really brought up, but I know that um, here in the United States, um, we just celebrate, I'm not going to politics. We just celebrated our Americans with disabilities act for 30 years. And so you know, we've been trying to teach architects to include us for a really long time, but it still is an afterthought. So I know one um, para, former Paralympic, and uh, she's actually in Texas, but she works mainly in Latin America that is building accessible um, buildings and homes and smart cities. And I know of a woman in, in, in Once, Maria, that does amazing work, but and then I know about you, and I'm sure there are others, but I'm fascinated why, you know, you weren't taught in school, but thrilled that you have figured it out and then got a wonderful company that supports you and the work you do. What, what, what can we do to make sure, you know, other architects understand the value of actually, you know, building something that works for all people? Mm. So I think I think um, part of it might be when I went to school. <laughs> so I'm not going to reveal how old I am, but um, I, I, th- I think part of it is um, is the fact that it, it just wasn't um, on the curriculum when when I was at university, um, when uh, when when I, I was studying um, sort of architecture in the built environment. Um, I think there are um, efforts to introduce that so so as an example it's you know there, there's now um uh, in in terms of the um the uh, royal institute of british architects the reba um sort of curriculum there is um a, a inclusive design um arm or branch to that now um so i think there are efforts but i think uh, as as she said very often um in practice um there is still the the uh, tendency to leave it, I suppose, until it's until it's too late, or, or you know, not getting, not not thinking about inclusive design early enough. Um, and there's there's one example, or, or there's a couple of things, I suppose, that, that um, I, I think are important to raise here. So, uh, as part of the ADA over in America, as part of the building regulations in the UK, um, I think it's important to um, you know to to acknowledge the fact that actually the data that um, that um, that that uh, kind of builds up those those recommendations in those in those guidance documents um, are that uh, you, you know that they, their averages that's data that that has um, tried to find an average amongst a very very diverse set of communities. Um, so anyone who's an outlier to that that still doesn't work. Uh, even even if you're we're compliant with the ADA, even if we're compliant with building regulations. Um, it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. It, it, you know, there's still so much more that we can do. Um, and just just um, going back to the uh, the comment that I made earlier about that diversity within our teams as well, and how we actually approach solutions. Um, there's there's an example that um, 
uh, that, that I think anyone who knows me uh, has heard me sort of use way too much. Um, but that there was a a, a case um, uh, probably about a, a few years ago now, where there was a company who manufactured and designed a, um, a automatic um, a water dispenser tap, um, and uh, when they launched it, what they had not appreciated was the fact that um, the automatic sensor didn't recognize particular skin tones. Um, so if, uh, yeah, it, so, so it, uh, complete oversight from their side, um, not intentional, I'm sure. Um, but I think, again, that that really goes back to Neil's point about the fact that, you know, as well as, as, well as consulting and, and actually speaking to people and making sure that you capture that diversity in, in, in how you're testing your products, testing your environments, um, it's also really important to make sure that people um, within your teams as well internally, that, that you've captured that diversity. I agree. And I'd forgotten to mention Tia, who is somebody that we had on the show not long ago. She's so there, there is brilliant people in the field, but it, it just seems like it is an opportunity to be more innovative. And I know architects like to be innovative. I know there's this um, world renowned architect in the United States that's blind, and some of the architecture that he's built, it's just stunning. And, and so accessible and so creative. And, and the thing, of course, that we all know is the more accessible we make it, the more usable it is for everybody. So it's, and I know that you had mentioned um, before we went on air that, you know, you're also very focused on sustainability and making sure that the buildings that you build and, you know, the cities that you build, that they, they're taking care of our planet as well. And we, Neil actually um, has talked about that not being accessible is like pollution. So I, I'm fascinated with leaders like you and your company that understand the value of making sure it works for all of us innovatively and at the same time protects our planet at the same time. So uh, I think that's very exciting. But I, I am still very discouraged that um, <clears throat> we are not talking about this more meaningfully in education. Um, and, and I would love to see leaders like you going in and teaching classes because that's what we need to see. We need the leaders that are doing it, actually teaching the younger architects and the older architects how to do this. So I want to applaud you. And I know Antonio has a question, so I will turn it over to you, May, to comment and then um, also turn it over to Antonio. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us, May. Uh, it's uh, I've I've been in in some of your buildings in the past, uh, and uh, and I I know how, how good design can work, uh, and to, to, not also for for people to access the building, but also to create a good environment between the employees that work in in, in a certain in a certain space. So lately, and I'm sure this came across you, where there's a lot of conversations about creating cities more sustainable. Sustainable. So every event that every conference, virtual or not, uh, that talks about uh, cities puts a lot of emphasis on sustainability. Uh, and sometimes uh, associated with sustainability comes a connection with technology, technology, technology. And that's what we see. But how can we, when you are engaging with your customers or potential customers, how do you engage? Okay, you know, that's really important. It is. But it's also important to make them accessible and inclusive for, for individuals because we are talking about huge investments. 
<laughs> Sometimes we are talking about public money and how can we make sure that we look at accessibility from the beginning of the planning to make sure that in, in the end, uh, everyone uh, gets a good outcome? Again, really, really great question there. I, I think w w one of the things um, you know that that we're definitely noticing more of in terms of some of the clients that we're working with is, um, like you say, that focus on technology and um, the the desire for their buildings to be smart. Um, and I think one of the things that we um, you know we're, we're always conscious of that, we're, and the discussion that we have with our clients is that. Um, regardless of what te technology is put in um, if we were to strip all of the technology out as a building as a space it should still work mm -hmm. people shouldn't have to rely on the technology for it to, to for, for it to be usable and for that experience to be um to, to be equitable um so in relation to um uh in, in relation to sort of the work that we do, um, the technology is always there as a enhancement to, not as a replacement to, um, to, to, to what we're actually trying to provide and what we're trying to achieve within those spaces. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna jump in since nobody else did. <laughs> Are you finding that your clients are starting to ask for it? Because I just think, you know, the reality is when we are business owners or we're in, you know, corporations, we, we have to do what our clients tell us and we can encourage them and, mm -hmm. oh, well, do you want to, you know, but are the clients asking for it more? Are y'all feeling more confident to be able to say, by the way, as we're doing this design, even if they didn't ask Here's an opportunity to do this. And also, by the way, it makes it more accessible to everyone. So it, it yeah. seems like there's a push and a pull there, but I, I, I'm assuming that. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think um, there there are different types of clients that we work with. There, there are the ones which, um, because there's that need to comply with legislation, with regulations, um, you know, it's a case of can you help us to make sure that we've done what we have to do. Um, we've got other clients that are um, that are very forward thinking where they're saying, actually, you know, we want the best for the people that are using our buildings, whether that's staff, whether that's visitors, whether, you know, whoever, whoever that might be. Um, so we've got those attitudes, which are very, um, very positive. Um, and, and, you know, they, they really want to do the, the, the right thing. Um, and then we've got the people that are sort of in between that we try to kind of push towards that direction. Um, so again, I think, you know, whoever it is that we're working with, um, there's always that conversation that we have with them to try and make them understand, um, I suppose, what, the, like you say, what the benefits are, why, why it's important. Um, and we can tackle that from, from different ways. There's the, there's the sort of social responsibility and the, the fact that actually we, you know, um, we, we should be doing it as, as responsible employers, as responsible service providers. Um, there's the business case to it as well. If it's more accessible, then actually you're going to attract more people to your premises, whether it's, uh, again, people visiting, if it's a public building, whether it's, um, uh, you know, a more diverse workforce because of the fact that your your office building is, is um, much more uh, inclusive. Um, so there's different ways that we can approach it depending on what the, the client's objectives are. But um, yeah. 
Uh, oh, we have seen uh, some interesting uh, observations in relation to designing a 15-minute neighborhood. No, uh, so here in the in this, in in, this, in Cork, there were some discussions about how can we enable that in the city. So, of course, you know when you are building in cycle lanes, you no, know, it, it, it's something that you are able to achieve or um, uh, easier in some places because of geog the geography of of the city itself. It could be an older or a newer city. But how do you see we? making this possible also for people with disabilities. How can we design a 15-minute city that is also inclusive and allows people to benefit from it? Yeah. So I, I think I think that kind of brings us back to the um, to, to the comment that we had earlier um, from from uh, from Neil's comment about um, about consultation, about making sure that we really understand who the communities are. Um, because what might be appropriate for a city centre in London um, might not be appropriate for the city centre over in Cork or over in the state, uh, you know, somewhere in the states. Or you know, so we need to understand uh, who those who those communities are. You know, what the cultural sort of context of that is, um, and again, what then is um, appropriate for, um, for 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 trying to. Um, adjust and, and to and to incorporate more inclusive features within that built space right I, I, I tangentially going on from that so we've talked quite a bit now about these sort of civic spaces but our cities are also made up of of housing stock mm. uh, and and when when we look at our aging population and, and the housing stock um, that that we have, we don't tend to build um, stuff that is adaptable and that can that can change with us and adapt to our needs um, over time. And, and we had um, Anna from the Centre for Aging Better on uh, Access Chat a while back, and she talked about the need for us to be thinking much more deeply about um, building housing stock that, that we can stay in, that we can live in, and we don't end up with uh, young people um, in you know, houses of most multiple occupancy because all of the large houses are stuck with single people in. Uh, we have opportunities in, you know, obviously we're building new cities and, and new housing areas, and, 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 and there's an opportunity there. What, what sort of work are you Arab doing in, in the space of, of housing design and what are some of the constraints because I know from my own personal experience you go to these large new estates there doesn't seem to be that much in the way of actual intentional design there there's just this sort of cookie cutter template of of fairly sort of cheap boxy bricks with a uh, yeah with some small windows in. So, so what can we do um, and, and what are you doing in, in this area? Because I think it's a really important area. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I, it, it's something which, um, uh, you know, we've spoke about before, Neil, in, in terms of, you know, allowing, uh, if, we're, if we're able to design housing stock in a way which um, accommodates um, all life stages, then then actually there's much more flexibility there. We can start to um, be more 
uh, adaptable to to some of the some of the things uh, some of the items that you mentioned there. Um, and I think it's 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 a big challenge. I think you know, as as you say, in terms of what's actually designed out there. Um, I was having a conversation with a colleague. Um, uh, probably a couple of weeks ago now um but you know the 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 fact that you know again using using the uk uh, building regulations as an example there's certain space standards but actually if you looked at the first um you know the the top three wheelchair providers in the uk the turning circles that um, that those wheelchairs, those most popular models of wheelchairs, um, actually use in comparison to the space standards that are actually being provided as as a minimum standard in the UK. There's a disparity between the between those two. So I think there's there's huge issues that we need to that that we need to um, sort of address. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it shouldn't be the case. But I think the building codes probably are where you know that, that that's probably where the starting point is um i think a lot of the time unless it's regulated people just don't pay attention um so i think uh, in in my opinion i think that's probably where we need to start making that change okay yeah uh, and and i think that that the building codes give us that very baseline um I think there's also a mismatch between people thinking that they've met building codes um, and, and therefore are accessible. So, so I think there's some education to be done on that still. Absolutely. Um, the other the other area we've talked about before is uh, is going back to technology, and that that is actually you know how do you plan to design for technology that is slow to move and and embedded Mm long-term where when technology trends are moving at a a hugely rapid rate. So, you know, when you build a building that the technology that you put in is is not going to be refitted again for maybe 10, 15, 20 years. So, so what, what are the differences in considerations in, in implementing tech Mm -hmm. inside in architecture compared to sort of, implementing tech as a technologist in a technology firm like the, like the one I work for mm-hmm. so I think I think um, in terms of the approach that that we take as a firm um, I'm gonna shout out to a couple of other teams um, that that have uh, far more you know uh, far more expertise in this but we've got um, a foresight team um, that kind of looks at those future trends that that starts to think about you know as you say what we're looking at if we're um, considering a building with a 50-year, 100-year lifespan um, and thinking about what sort of things we need to think about at this point when we're designing things that can accommodate that flexibility and accommodate those, um, you know, that ease of adaptation to, to meet those future needs. Um, we've got other teams um, sort of within within the company that are kind of specialise in smart technologies and, 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 again, sort of lining all of that together to really understand um, you know where where society, where buildings, um, you know where where that's all going, um, will help to help to build in that, that adaptability. Um, we've we've got a few buildings uh, or a few projects at the moment where, um, again, that that desire to have smart buildings, to have that technology built in, um, is a really key focus for the client. 
And again, for, for us, then it's a case of understanding, you know, what it is that they're wanting to achieve in the immediate term, understanding where those trends are heading as well, um, and then making sure that the infrastructure is built in to be able to accommodate any of those scenarios. Excellent. I think that's 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 so important because you don't want to be um, building immediate obsolescence. Uh, because the technology is moving so fast that 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 it is very difficult to um, from the you know taking it from the drawing board through the planning process to, you know, um, to building this stuff it takes years so 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 that thought to be able to you know, build in the flexibility I think is really key. Our time has gone really way too quickly. Um, half an hour's already popped whizzed by um so i'd just like to say thank you very much and and also thank barclays access my clear text and microlink for keeping us on air and supporting us to get the message out there about accessibility and inclusion and um you know really look forward to you joining us on on twitter your handle is at arab accessible yeah, that's right. Correct. Yes, excellent. <laughs> um, we will see you on Tuesday. It's been a real pleasure, May. Thank you very yes. much for joining us. And I just want to say thank you to May and yes. go Biden, go Harris. We are taking <laughs> our country back. That's right. The United States is going to elect President Biden to the White House. Woohoo! Oh, <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> All right. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're, still, you're, you're, yeah. So, so, was that you, 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 you're, you're, you're pleased with your QAnon conspiracy theories? I know. I got to go eat some babies, but, um, yeah. or yeah. whatever okay. we do. But, okay, so. <laughs> thank you, May. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you for your to, leadership. To you we really appreciate your leadership. And I appreciate even more that you're a woman uh, leader. So, thank you so much.